This week on The Big Show, we sit down with uh, my special guest, actor Ben Foster, who will talk about his latest film, Leave No Trace. Plus, we'll have a conversation about the cinematic goats with film critic Charles Kirkland. And in addition, we'll have entertainment news and reviews all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Yes, of course, that was, uh, of course, the Michael Jackson, Jackson 5 classic, I Want You Back. Uh, Welcome to uh, Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. I am Tim Gordon. And, uh, you know, we have another amazing show today Uh, coming up a little later on in the show. We'll have reviews of the latest the latest films in theaters opening this week. And of course, that means above all Uncle Drew. (laughs) So we'll talk about that a little later on in the show. Ben Foster, as you heard me say in our opening, will join us to talk about Leave No Trace, an amazing interview with him. And also coming up in a moment, we'll talk to Wilson Morales, who's live up in New York uh, from BlackFilm.com, who gives us the entertainment news and reviews every week. Uh, But I want to open the show today by, you know, saluting the life of Joe Jackson, who passed yesterday at the age of 89. Uh, He was a talent manager and the patriarch of the Jackson family of entertainers. I mean, this guy was the father of two of the biggest pop stars in music history uh, and Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson. Uh, He himself was inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame as a member in the class of 2014. Now, we all know that he began working with his son's musical group in the early 1960s, first working with his three eldest sons, Jackie, Tito, and Jermaine. Later on, Marlon and Michael eventually joined the backing band. Uh, Initially, at that point, they were known as the Jackson Brothers, but when they added the younger members in, they changed the name to the Jackson Five. Uh, He arranged for his sons to sign with Motown in 1969, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, People also may not know that when Janet was 16, you know, he was he was the uh, the manager of her as well. And he arranged a contract for her at A&M Records, which got her started. Uh, Of course, he was hospitalized uh, on June 22nd out in Las Vegas in the final stages of terminal pancreatic cancer and died at a local hospice yesterday. And as I said, Jackson was 89, and I know he may not have been the greatest of parents, but much like Serena Williams' father, Tiger Woods' father, uh, you know, these fathers that had visions for their children, and these children went on to have these amazing careers. I just wanted to make sure that we knew that Joe Jackson left the earth and that he did have a place, even if he had a checkered past. Uh, Just Joe Jackson, the age of 89. So with that being said, I'm going to bring in Wilson Morales uh, from BlackFilm.com. Wilson, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Hey, man, I'm hanging in there, man. So uh, what is going on today in entertainment with you, Wilson? 
not much. I guess as we're entering uh, the 4th of July coming weekend next week, you know, things are starting to slow down. You know, obviously they're still going to get some uh, blockbusters coming up, such as Ant-Man, and you still have uh, Jurassic and theaters as well as The Incredibles. So if you're small, you, you need to make a lot on your marketing. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, yeah, you're right. So, any anything happening that you're going to be going to? Because I know how you roll, Wilson. You won't tell me anything, man. I'll just pop up on IG well, no, and be like, know, oh, my God. If you're not going to the movie theaters, you're certainly staying home watching TV, especially, you know, there's a lot of good stuff for for African Americans. You've got the new series Love Is on OWN. You've got Queen Sugar. And then, obviously, this coming weekend, you have The Return of Power, Season 5. I just happen to be going to the uh, opening uh, the premiere tonight in New York City. Uh, they're actually going to go big at doing it at the Radio City Music Hall. Nice, nice. So the other thing, man, I've become spoiled, man, because, you know, we live in this Netflix world right now where, you know, we're accustomed to getting, like, an entire season at one time. You know, they have to watch power week after week, man. I'm like, really? <laughs> but in a way, that's good because, you know, there's way too much television right now, way too much 10 series. You know, granted, it's sort of like, you know, Netflix has obviously changed anywhere. They're kind of forcing you to binge watch. But sometimes you miss the old week after week, so that way it gives you time to breathe. Uh, the problem is that if those the, the shows that are right away, if they don't catch fire right off the bat, it you know, it, it, you lose interest. Because all of a sudden it's like it's there, all 10 episodes. But if you didn't hear about it or was interested from, from the beginning, then there's not much, and there's, you know, certain things happen in episode six or eight. No one really, you know, you're not really hearing about it as opposed to, like, uh, week after week, and it's building anticipation. Well, you're right, man. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just saying that because we just came off of Luke Cage last week, and, uh, of course, Love Is, and, um, of course, uh, Queen Sugar, which I've been watching. Uh, Queen of the South actually just came back last week. I did not know that until this morning and went, oh, yeah, so we we get about to hit well, episode two. Think about it. There's not enough promotion, you know, but they have time, though. You know, they have time to promote their shows since they're weekly, you know, and certain actors or characters can get more uh, visibility because they're, you know, they can build up their, you know, their presence for whatever episode they appear in. If you're on Luke Cage, for example, and there's a certain actor that appears in episode seven or eight, no one's talking about it. I'm trying to think. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give it away because... Now, let me ask you a question because I have a rule and I want to know if you have the same rule with people who are in your circle. I always tell the people in my circle that if something comes on television or it's in movies, you got seven days that I can't talk about it, right? After seven days, if you haven't seen it in seven days, you short. I just can't be walking around tiptoeing around stuff you should have seen by now. Yeah, if it's a TV show that, you know, by, yeah, after the seven, after, you know, there's no spoilers. We didn't catch up to it and, you know, and everybody's talking about it. And people, remember, people do recaps. <laughs> Right. I mean, I, I was somewhere recently and I was we were talking about Black Panther and somebody said, man, wait a minute. I haven't seen it yet. I said, man, if you haven't seen Black Panther that came out in February, you are. <laughs> I don't know what to do with you in a situation like that. Uh, so, Wilson, um, coming up in our next segment, man, we're going to be doing uh, something about the goats where we're going to be looking at the greatest actors, actresses, film performances, etc. Right. So without any prompting. If I had to ask you 
to name the greatest actor of all time. Now, not the most popular actor that you like, Wilson, but the actor that you think is the best one from start to finish, the 100 plus years of cinema, who would you name? Um, I would say amongst the top four or five, Jimmy Stewart. Good, good choice. You know, I, I like Jimmy Stewart. I certainly like, you know, if you have to balance it out, you, you know, there's Denzel, you know, because I like his array of films. Um, Jimmy Stewart, everyone, you know, for a period of time until I was way last year, Kevin Spacey was up there. Wow, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, obviously, got to strike him from the record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, uh, who else is there? Um, Tom Hanks. You know, yeah. these are these are guys who can play the everyday man. Right. Right. You know, these are guys that can play the everyday man. They are believable in their roles, whether it's action, comedy, or drama. You know, um, that when you see, you know, you know, they're not that big. They're not that short. They play the, or it's a family man, the political man, uh, or the drama. You know, like you, you enjoy watching them because you can you can buy into their character. Those are four really good choices, man. Um, I have, a, I have, I'm going to do mine in the next segment, and I'm going to really break it down because I got this idea. Somebody, uh, a good friend of mine, wrote a piece this morning about his favorite film of all time, and he named Lawrence of Arabia. And um, I, I thought about that, and I said, normally when people ask me what my favorite film is, they normally know that I'm going to either say Citizen Kane or The Godfather, but I went in an entirely different direction this morning because the film I featured has what I think is one of the greatest film, on-screen film performances of all time. And every time I watch it, I just go, wow. So it kind of reminds me when we talk about the GOAT of like Richard Pryor, where you have that line where you know it's comedians before Pryor, comedians after Pryor. And I feel the same way when I think about people like Brando. Uh, you know, you think about people like Bogart, you know, some of these guys who came along back in the day. Denzel Washington is absolutely worthy, but don't forget Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier True. Is, uh, is a guy who was uh, unfortunately a, a part of a time where he, he didn't really have a lot of good material that, it, that would stretch him. So, you know, I think about Sidney a lot, man. You know, he, to me, is the, I call him the foundation, man. He's the reason that all these people of color and these women that are thriving in a business now. Huh? They don't play enough of his movies as they do, like, Jimmy Stewart. You know, I'm thinking uh, the Philadelphia story, you know, or, right. or Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, or, or meet John Doe, mm-hmm. you know. Films of those, you know, those are the movies that get played so often, especially when you watch it on on uh, American movie classics. And then, my, I guess when people say you were talking about what's the film people you say is your favorite film, I go back and my number one film always is Laura. Oh man, that's a great movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. Look at you, Wilson, stretching out. All right, Wilson. Otto Preminger. Oh, absolutely, man. He's a, he's a beast, man. But yeah, well, I may have to have you come back for that, man. But we got about fifteen seconds, man. Tell people where they can follow your content. You can follow, follow me over at BlackFilm.com, which is the same words you use for Instagram and Twitter. All right, Wilson. As, as I tell you every week, man, it's a pleasure having you on, man. Thanks for your time, man. Have a good weekend. You as well, sir. 
All right, and of course, that was Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com, who joins us at the top of each show. When we come back, uh, we're going to delve a little deeper into what I call our goat conversation, and I'm not talking about the animal. We're talking about the greatest of all time. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. And of course, that was Jermaine Jackson from 1984, simply entitled Do What You Do When You Did What You Did to Me. Used to love that song, man. Now, coming up later in the show, we'll review this week's new releases. And before we even get started, this segment is brought to you by the Lakefront Film Fest. Experience every moment of the inaugural Lakefront Film Fest. For more information, visit lakefrontfilmfest.com All right, so this next segment, as we teased earlier, is inspired by a piece in Complex Magazine entitled The Greatest of All Time or The Goats. And joining me for this segment is uh, a frequent contributor. Also, he's at DC Film Life, and also you can find his writings on thefilmgordon.com. He is the latest member of the class of WAFCA Film Critics, which stands for the Washington, D.C. Area Film Critics Association, Class of 2018, yeah. Charles Kirkland. Welcome to the big show. Thanks for having me back, brother Tim. Hey, man, before we get started, man, let me take a sip of my magical pineapple. Oh, my gosh. You guys, I'm telling you, this 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 dude is ridiculous. We, he's drinking a smoothie out of a pineapple <laughs> while we're sitting here in the studio. Hey, man, let me tell you something, man. Membership has its privileges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So let's talk a little bit about we we teased it in the last segment with Wilson Morales. So we're gonna really get into it right now. I want to start talking about the greatest of all time. And before we start talking about this, let's set some ground rules and some criteria. So, <coughs> excuse me, too much pineapple right there in the back. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, <laughs> let's set the criteria that uh, when we're talking about greatness, greatness is about versatility. Greatness is about longevity. Greatness is about impact. You know, the impact that a performer or a film had on the public. Uh, it, it, it's also about popularity. Mm -hmm. It's also about critical acclaim. So I would say those five things have gone into my kind of thought process as I start thinking about what we're going to discuss here. So let's get it started, man. We uh, will start back where we ended in the last segment where we started talking about the greatest actors of all time. Now, mind you, that's not the greatest black actor. Okay. Not the greatest international actor. Okay. Greatest actors of all time since we've been rolling movies circa 1905 with Uncle Tom's Cabin, maybe sometime in the late 19th century when we were still experiment with film before we got to where we are today. Uh, who are you? Who are you talking about that you think is the greatest actor of all time? Well, uh, I'm 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 really upset that I had to come on here after Wilson uh, started <laughs> because he went down the line of, of the people who I would have picked. I, I definitely would have had 
Jimmy Stewart as one of the greatest of all time. No, no, no. I didn't ask you one. Who is the one? The one. The GOAT. Wow. Who's I mean, the greatest that, of all time? So so you want me to go first and while you and you let you think about it some more? Because I have an answer for you. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll allow you that. You're, you're the Thank host. You, sir. Uh, my answer would be Marlon Brando. And let me explain why. Marlon Brando, as I was saying in the last segment, did a film called On the Waterfront. Yes. Now, for people who don't or aren't familiar with this, On the Waterfront, of course, is a story of corruption based on a true story uh, that happened in 1949. I was written into a, a newspaper article that was later adapted for a film. Ilya Kazan, right. who years later would name names uh, doing the Red Scare in Hollywood, uh, actually directed this film. And basically, the thing that stands out about this film is that the film came out in uh, 54, so five years or maybe five to seven years earlier, um, Lee Strasberg and a group of actors started this thing in New York, uh, this school that taught method acting, right? Right. Now, method acting, for, for those at home who are not, who don't really understand, method acting was a, a new concept that was introduced in the late 40s that actors wouldn't just look at a script and then pretend to act that they were a character. Method acting meant that you became, became the character. The person, you right, inhabited right. the character. And of all these people that came out of, out of this school, Marlon Brando was the one who really was an exceptional student. So he comes out of the school in 1951. He does the Tennessee Williams play, which turned into a movie, A Streetcar Named Desire. Right. You know, where people remember Stella. Stella. Brando was, <laughs> was absolutely riveting, man. But in 54, he took his game to the next level with that film. And I tell people all the time, people always remember, you know, I could have been a contender mm -hmm. instead of a yeah. bum, which right, is what right, I was. Right. You know, all those great lines. But what Brando did in that movie is that it wasn't what he said. It was the nonverbal cues, the acting that he did in silence. Brando, to me, was so good in this movie. This movie, like you heard me talk about Richard Pryor being the line in the sand for yeah. stand-up comedy. Right. Marlon Brando is the line in the sand for actors because before Brando mm -hmm. came along, you would have Jimmy Stewart. You had Humphrey Bogart. You had Gary Cooper. You had John Wayne. You had all these leading men uh, who were, were great actors. Uh, who acted these roles, Henry Fonda, these great actors, right? But none of them inhabited the roles the way that Marlon Brando did. And then after him came along a school that featured Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and all these other actors. You think today of a, of a Christian Bale. You think today of Ben Foster, who's going to be on the show a little later on. Right. Um, you think of these actors who just are chameleons that just kind of fall into these different roles. Brando is the guy for me, and he's always acknowledged as like one of the all-time greats. Now, I know AFI has voted Bogart number one. Okay. But, right. but, but for me, <laughs> I'm just saying, man, because I gave this some thought yesterday when I was thinking about this. I mean, Marlon Brando is my guy. I think he's the actor's actor. And if you don't believe mm. that, think about how he transformed from that character and on the waterfront to becoming Don Corleone 20 years later in The Godfather. Yeah, but see, you look, you, when you say that, you, you also forget the fact that he had 20 years of evolution from one character to the other. 
And so I, while I don't disagree with you on Marlon Brando because he is an outstanding actor and I, I agree with all the points that you make, I think that uh, maybe someone like Jimmy Stewart, Humphrey Bogart, who were commanding the field before he came along and doing some of those, uh, maybe not the inhabiting the role, as you would say, but playing it well enough to be believable, believable to be the everyday person. Mm-hmm. I still think Jimmy Stewart is is uh, maybe on the top of, the, of my list mm-hmm. because where you can go from. And then you want to talk about span of career from Mr. Smith goes to Washington to what he did in Vertigo with with uh, with with uh, um, geez. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, God, <laughs> Alfred man. Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, I'm looking at, I'm thinking of the outline. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, I mean, we're talking about a long span of his career where he played roles and was he wasn't outlandish, but very believable and the everyday man. And you bought into his characters. You, I mean, he pulls emotion out of you every time you see him. And every, and my family has hates it but every year I've got to watch <laughs> I've got to watch his Christmas movie every year I've got to watch it because I oh you're talking about It's a Wonderful Life It's a Wonderful Life alright so hold on a second so for you said Jimmy Stewart I said Brando right so Brando Stewart alright so okay so we're good there alright so let's talk now and this one as you were talking I'm already kind of looking ahead to thinking about greatest actors of all time and this is a good one because there's a modern example in Meryl Streep and then there's the what I would call the original, oh, wow. which would be Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. Hepburn. Now, from a from a spiritual or biblical standpoint, we always talk about the student can never be greater than the teacher. Uh, <laughs> I think I think for me, if I had to really think about this, um, you know, those two are obvious. I'm trying to go through when we think about you know an Angela Bassett, or you think about. Um, I mean, there's any number of women that have been around for long periods of time. Wow. That's a good one. Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Uh, Lauren Bacall, if you want to go back. Lauren Bacall's amazing. Um, Yeah, I've got to. I can't see any other way, man. I've got. I mean, wow. I was going to. Before I gave my answer, I'm thinking Vivian Lee, Mm. Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, yeah. Of course. Wow. Yeah, that's tough, I, I, man. And, and if you talk about length of 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 uh, performance, Betty Davis. I mean, yeah, I mean Elizabeth Taylor from child actor all the way on. Damn, boy, that's tough. So, yeah, See, I was a, about to give my answer, but then I had to think about that <laughs> some more. Um, oh wow! If I think about versatility in an actress, an actress who can play or be believable, because this is one of the knocks that I have against Denzel Washington, and it's not that it's a knock that it's a bad thing, but it's just the thing for me that Denzel can't play every man. Denzel right. has such a regal bearing that there's certain things that Denzel does that is just not believable, like John Q. I looked at him in John Q. I was like, come on, man. Yeah. Now that Lawrence Fishburne? Yes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes? Yes. Right. Denzel Washington? Nah, you're not a garbage man. You're not like an everyday dude. Um, but but let's let's segue well, well, back. Well, well, what about Fences? Fences was good. Fences, but you got to remember, Fences is an older Denzel. I don't think Denzel could play Fences that would and be that effective twenty five years ago. Maybe, a matter of yeah, fact, yeah, I know yeah, he couldn't. Yeah. Um, but let's think about this for a second. So, in saying all those things, while Catherine Hepburn had a long run with Spencer Tracy, and she's been great, and I think Meryl Streep 
is is so good at this point that she's just Meryl Streep. She just shows up on screen, hits her marks, and it just comes naturally for her. I'm going to go back and grab the girl with the big eyes, man. Those Betty Davis Betty eyes, Davis. man. Betty Davis. Betty Davis, man, from Now Voyager, Jezebel, all the way through the 1960s, man. Um, what was the name of the movie her and Joan Crawford did together? Uh, whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor was another good choice because Elizabeth Taylor, God, man. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, man. I mean, if I if I if you had to put a gun to my head, I would have to go uh, Betty Davis, man. But but Elizabeth Taylor, I have a lot of respect for her because I've seen some of the work she's done from this. Not and not in her big roles like the Cleopatras mm-hmm. and uh, right, right, and uh, and uh, you know Virginia Woolf and all that stuff. But I'm talking about stuff like the Sandpipers, the VIPs, uh, you know, uh, a place in the sun. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor is an amazing actress, man. So I don't know. So what about you, man? I'm going to save Elizabeth Taylor because of, again, we talked about her range. I mean, from when she was young to where she's, I mean, she's grown. She plays every woman. She plays Regal. She plays, she's done it all in between everywhere. I mean, and outstandingly. Hmm. And the range of her career has been, like I said, so long. From a child actor all the way to her her senior years, I I think her work is just outstanding. Wow, that's that's tough, man. That, that's something that we, I, I I hope that people are listening at home and kind of jar their memory uh, to think about some of these performances. So now we're gonna go to a category that is gonna really be a debate because there's really no right or wrong answer. Uh, the the greatest film of all time, man. And for me, like I said to oh. Wilson. That, you know, The Godfather, what Francis Ford Coppola did with that in the first two films, I think is just nothing short of extraordinary. It, along with Citizen Kane, are always widely looked at as the greatest two American films that are ever made. I, again, go back to On the Waterfront. I think that's such an amazing performance in that film. Um, Wow. I mean, film is hard, man. Film is really hard. But and, and the problem with talking about Godfather is that I'm of the camp that believes that Godfather 2 is superior to Godfather 1. A lot of people are. I mean, uh, you know, I, I honestly believe the juxtaposition of a young Vito Corleone played by Robert De Niro, <laughs> along with a present day Michael played right. by Al Pacino. And even though they never share any screen time together and we don't ever see these two together until 23 years later when Michael Mann brought them together in heat. Um, I just think I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to I'm just going to have to go with my, with my rare instincts on this and just basically say that I think Godfather 2, for me, this this continuing saga of this American family and kind of looking at it, you know, this this, this novel idea, because I, I don't see too many people doing this, where you're telling, I mean, people tell kind of dual stories, but you've got two absolutely captivating stories of the beginning or the genesis of the Corleone family in, in America, it's, it, and it's in a mix with Michael, who's advancing the family forward in the, in the, the, the late 1950s. It is just 
<laughs> it is almost a perfect <laughs> film that um, there's not even like when we talk about wasted scenes, right? Right. There are no wasted no, scenes no. in the first two Godfather movies. It's like the way it's spliced together, storytelling, uh, acting. <sighs> you got De Niro, Pacino, Duvall, Talia Shire, Jimmy Kahn. I mean, you. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's my vote, man. I'm going with Godfather Two. It's the greatest film of all time. Wow. Well, see, the the thing about the best movie of all time is what are you looking for when you're looking for the best movie of all time? Are you looking for something that's that's um, a, a great story? Are you looking for great acting? Or is there a combination? Can it be one without the other? And when you were talking about storyline and editing and cinematography and to me, and you, this is going to really going to blow your mind, I'm going to say I think one of the 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 best movie made and it's a current movie recent movie I'm going to say is the Shawshank Redemption because of the way the way it was shot the way it was narrated um, the adaptation from the Stephen King story everything in that movie worked there was uh, like you said no wasted scenes uh, from beginning to end it told a tight concise story and even as you tried to see where it was going what what was happening it always had something more for you to see and uh, another direction for it to go and uh, I, I to me I mean, I, I can't I can't argue with you because again, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, and I love Shawshank Redemption. I mean, such such wonderful storytelling, layered. Um, a, a movie that's a personal favorite of mine. I would never say it's the greatest of all time. Now we get to the point where we start talking about the greatest <laughs> superhero film of all time. The Dark Knight wins hands down. Not even remotely close. Not even. It's not, not even, even close, man. I mean, so so let's talk about that. Let's let's make a segue to the greatest superhero film, and the, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Christopher Nolan, who uh, you know, I, I went on Travis's show. Travis Hobson is a colleague of ours. I went on his show years ago and told him that I had a cinematic man crush on Christopher Nolan because <laughs> the man to me has never made a bad film, man. From Inception to The Prestige to Memento, Nolan is is my dude, right? So The Dark Knight. Is such a good film, and it just it just had its tenth anniversary like right. a week ago. Yeah, Dark Knight is such a good film because if you took the mask off of Christian Bale and the mask off of the late Heath Ledger, and it was a crime drama, it would have been an excellent crime it, drama. It, 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 it is an was. amazing film with a story well told. I never forget seeing it at the screening the first time, right? And we saw it. We screened it at the Uptown. And I'm sitting there, and I've been for months been following Batman and, you know, all the stuff. And I'm talking to the publicists down at Allied. And they're like, Tim, you haven't seen anything like this. And they rolled out, like, 12 trailers for The Dark Knight. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm watching all these trailers, trying to get a hint of the film. And, and the genius of Warner Brothers is they cut those 12 trailers in a way. Didn't tell you anything. You had about no idea what was happening. So you watch this story of this man who is emotionally tormented by this villain who understands that he has a code right. and that no matter what he does that he's not going to get gonna rid go of the, that he's not going to go past the code <laughs> and he just pushes Batman you know to his nth limit man and the fact of that this performance you know in, in a way and I mean no disrespect to, uh, to the dead but this performance literally killed, killed Heath Ledger, Ledger. Yeah. you know he yeah. was in such a dark place to play this character man and he was it, it, it ended up 
having causing them to commit suicide. And th- th- there was oh, overdosing. Acting. Right. Method and acting, that was yeah. method acting to the nth degree. Right. So the dark night. Every time I think about this movie, there's one particular scene, a couple of scenes actually that stand out, but the one that stands out is when uh, you know, Batman and uh Commissioner Gordon go to save um uh, what's her name? Uh, the, the Harvey Dent and uh, the other girl. Oh, it was his girlfriend. His girlfriend, uh, whatever her name. And they and they don't get there in enough time. And <laughs> Rachel, they, they, Rachel, Rachel. And, and they die. And Batman is standing on the rocks, and his and his cowl is blowing. His cape is blowing <laughs> in the background, and he's looking down. And I was like, Oh my God, man! Christopher Nolan knocked this one out the park. <laughs> Greatest superhero <laughs> film. I don't care what Marvel has. I've seen all 20 of the Marvel films. None of those emotionally resonate the way The Dark Knight ever has. So you want me to say what the best... Are we a series or just one 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 movie? One comic movie, yeah. One comic book film. (laughs) Uh, Well, you're going to hate me for this one, too, but I'm going to say The Incredibles. Because... And, and a lot of people don't consider The Incredibles a superhero movie, but it is a superhero movie because the same reason that you said before, if you took the mask off of them, the story is about family and how that family interacts and how they adapt to situations that change. And to me, I think this was the, the movie transcended being a superhero movie into a story about a family and how right. family survives. Right. And so, and so, uh, to me, The Incredibles is right up there as one of the best uh, superhero movies ever made. Well, sir, you have to come back because we got to continue this, man. We blew through that segment, man. That was some good stuff, man. God, that was a great answer. I mean, that's a good answer. So, would you consider one to be the one or two? Because two, I thought was. We'll have to talk about that when we come back because. Uh, man. Yeah. Man, all right. Well, yeah, we're going to break it down right here. All right. So, Charles, hey, man, thanks for coming through. Um, you know, coming up in our next segment, we got Ben Foster, oh, right. uh, who's going to talk to us about Leave No Trace. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4. And we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping It Real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. And welcome back to the big show. And that song that just plays remains my absolute favorite song from Michael Jackson's iconic album Thriller. Of course, that was Human Nature. Love that song. All right, now coming up later in the show, we'll review several films opening in theaters this week. Now, our next guest is an absolutely amazing character actor who's appeared in such diverse films as The Punisher. X-Men The Last Stand, Alpha Dog, The Messenger, The Mechanic, Kill Your Darlings, Lone Survivor, and Hella High Water. In his latest film, Ben Foster plays a former soldier dealing with PTSD, raising his daughter in the woods in the drama Leave No Trace. I sat down with him early in the morning after watching this film literally right before our interview. Now, when you listen, either I was hopped up on sugar or as, as they would say in Top Gun, I came in way too hot. 
Either way, you be the judge. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, fantastic. I actually watched the movie for the first time this morning at about 7 o'clock. It's a great wake-up movie. What are you doing to yourself? Hey, I had to, I had to make sure I saw it before we talked. Well, I appreciate that. So first of all, I wanna I want to commend you because I've watched your work over the last twenty years, and when I made the comment about you being a chameleon, I love how you kind of sink into all these different roles. There's no there's normally not been Foster. It's the character that you inhabit from film to film, which I think is the highest compliment. It is. It absolutely is. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about Lead No Trace. Um, This movie played at Sundance. I didn't get a chance to see it then, uh, but I heard the buzz coming out of there about your performance, and now I understand why. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of actors over the course of my career who always tell me when they have these, when they're preparing for roles, they sometimes, I guess, write a backstory to kind of put you in the place of a character. Did you do something similar to prepare for this character and some of the idiosyncrasies that he displays throughout the film? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You throw you throw everything into the pot and, right. and you turn up the heat and then you put a sieve on it and whatever comes out hopefully somehow lands in the film. Uh, the joy of this was building something up and then reducing it. So Deborah and I both have uh, traveled uh, through circles of, of service, and uh, I have friends who've come back and re-entered, and um, we talked about it. Uh, so Deborah and I shared some of these experiences and stories, and and we. I read the line, is it a want or is it a need? And the daughter's like, chocolate bar? Mm-hmm. Like, is it a want or is it a need? Like, that's, 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 there's something there. So I brought that to Dipper. I was like, you wrote this line, well, let's, let's do this with the movie. Let's do this with Will. If he doesn't need to say it, he doesn't say it. So let's just sit and, and look at the script that way. So we just started taking a red line. Backstory. We knew it was enough, and then you build out. But the joy of it is transmitting without having to sell. Now, one of the other lines that I love in the film that you say, I'm not going to say it's said a lot, it's said several times, where the character, you know, when he's talking to his daughter, says, you know, we want to make sure we think our own thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. When you're inhabiting this world where you've got a character on the move, in this way and doesn't necessarily like the structure uh, so much. How important was that? And and did that kind of, were you able to kind of do something mentally or go to a place thinking about, you know, that thinking about thinking your own thoughts as this character in the story? Uh, if, See, if, this is what happens when you watch a movie really early in the morning. Uh, and you, <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to tell everybody, like, get up at five. Go watch a sleepy movie in the woods. This is good. That'll rip your heart out. A lot of empathy. Love the story. A lot, lot to feel. Yes. Uh, think your own thoughts. Yeah, I love the line. Every time you said it, I was like, and then she says it back to him at one point. Yeah. When you guys are in the in the in the house. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, it is. Uh, that should be, at least in our household, that should be your mantra every day. Think your own thoughts. Own your own experience. It is your life and it's going quick. That's it. There's warmth and beauty in subcultures all over the world. 
how everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right for you. So that celebration of the of listening to yourself in tandem and in concert with community is is what I call balance. And Will doesn't have a lot of that. Doesn't have a lot of balance. He's got a lot of philosophy. He's got a lot of wounds, ways to self-medicate his trauma. And I agree with a lot of it. But what's missing is his balance. Now, you've got Will Will and, and young Tom. Now, is there a connection you feel with Will's character that he understands that he's he's... It would be one thing if he was having this experience solo and mm. he can kind of flow and move around. But when you have a young a young 13-year-old girl with you, um, he's preparing her, I know, the best way he knows how. But yes. is there something in his mind that understands that at some point this young girl is going to evolve into a woman who's going to need a different sort of experience than the one he's providing? I'm sorry, man. Seven o'clock in the morning. Man. Beautiful. I love it. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you for for considering so deeply. So right. so, because this is the life stuff. Right. We do the make believe, so people go and talk about it. Right. So so then it becomes their experience. Right. Uh, and asking a question like that, let's take it out of the movies. Just saying, at some point, your kid. Uh, is going to be their own individual and that can start with their new word no and that will continue uh, and that's the brutality of, uh, of this life that's one of the brutalities and the beauties of it I imagine I'm a new parent uh, Will's awareness that at some point she may have to go sure he may also on the surface cover that up there may be an idealized way to to return to a family unit not uh, traditionally North American where the grandparents live under the same roof how about that how about the kids take care of the parents like they do in the rest of the world maybe there's a scenario and that little flicker is not an impossibility so I don't think it's uh, he's not a he's not a dummy. He's just wounded and and, and running uh, to the best he can. Right. Uh, provide an environment that is other, but has its own nutrition for his daughter. Uh, I think to your point, the man is haunted with realities that he cannot control. Right. And that generates movement, constant movement. Being still, it's hard for a lot of us. It's good practice, though. I loved, I loved the chemistry between your character and uh, the young actress who plays your daughter in the film. She's great. Um, the thing I loved about your character is even though he's in this place where he's kind of wounded emotionally, he's really a kind character that... You know, for someone who's had those sorts of experiences, you would feel that there would be more of a rougher edge to him. Mm. But you don't you don't portray him that way. Mm. And the interactions between the two of you are very loving. Um, You know that you're there, you're present Um, outside of the inability that you guys are living this sort of life. If you were 180 degrees in a different place, it would almost be like a normal existence. Exactly. Thought it was great. So glad. Yes. It's hard stuff. It's tricky stuff. 
it seems like this it seems like these sorts of stories feel more of a natural fit to you than some of the other big budgeted things that you've done. Would that be accurate? Like stuff like this or hella high water? Oh yeah, you know, you, you try to make everything count. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, by the way, that film's great. Oh, um, oh. hell or high water. Yeah. Oh man, you got it. That was fun. Oh. That one was fun. Oh. And Taylor Sheridan, he's just a monster writer. Told you we love your work, man. I've been watching you for a while. I, I appreciate it. It's it's early for me, man. I'm not used to that kind of work in the morning. I'm, I should be elbows deep in poop right now. So <laughs> we give you a break. <laughs> how how is it, John? She's shy of a year. Wow. And I've been a stay-at-home dad for this whole year. I haven't done anything since this one. So um, I, I've, been, I've been just home. So this is like a. <laughs> Someone handing me coffee. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just here. You know, see, see, my job is easier when it's when you talk to people whose work you really respect and who who I feel has done a, a really good job. Um, you know, there's so many actors, as you know, who are out there just kind of scuffling around, and sometimes they'll. Well, Sometimes they stumble onto a good project. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes you have some who they're, they're, they're kind of. It, it's always interesting to me looking at the, the the life that the life that you guys inhabit. You know, and these characters and the and the selections you make. Um, did you did you start off consciously at the beginning of your career saying? that I'm more comfortable doing this, but I'll try everything and then I'll kind of fall in or find my place? Well, (laughs) you're like a kid, right? And and I started young, so you gotta, you gotta pay rent. Right. And there's this myth that, that uh, actors just get to choose and be whatever and work with whomever and they're just they're always on a boat somewhere and it's it's not that way it's just not particularly in film which is freelance which means I don't know what my next job is uh, after this one and then you and 50 other guys that are kind of like you'd be put on a shelf somewhere are all hustling for the same job so, for me, it was it was getting very raw with myself and saying, I actually like a lot of different kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. I like genre films. I like westerns. I like some sci-fi. I like. I, I just like to. If it's good, it's good. Um, well, like you, you would prefer to speak to somebody you appreciate. Right. Would I prefer to be at a a job that I love? Sure. Is it that way? No. I will do my damnedest to try to make it worth it and work, but it's a job. And there's this myth, like actors just kind of like float through and whatever you see, it's like they cut it and they designed it and they wrote, it's none of that. It's freelance and we're collaborators. And I like to work. I like to learn. I like to like engage. And if I'm sitting at home, I, I'm I'm a, I'm an enemy to me. Wow. So, knowing that, yeah. Do I like the little poems? Do you want to talk to somebody you actually give a shit about, or like okay. you're invested in? Sure. Mm-hmm. Are you going to show up with a guy that maybe your girl that you don't really like totally love, but give 
them uh, your best? Absolutely. It's what we do. Well, I just want to—I want to go and circle back because I, you know it's a—it's a quality that I don't see in a lot of actors. Right, the really good ones can do this. The ability for me never to see you, but to always kind of like just take for granted, like, oh my God, that's a, that's a great performance. Oh, that's Ben Foster again. Oh, huh. so so I saw it this morning. I saw it in Hella High Water. I've seen it in multiple films that I've watched you in. Is that something that's natural, or is this something that you do your research and you're just in there and you just dive into a character and you just disappear? I see you. <laughs> Every day's a surprise to, to wake up. Yeah. It's nice to surprise yourself. I don't know how to answer that other than just say thank you. I don't even know how to answer it. I just say thank you. You've done an amazing job. Uh, they, they've given me the signal over your shoulder, which is really scary because you don't really know what's going on. I'm trying no. to tune it out and focus on you, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so you really have no idea of the next film? No. No, it's been wild, man. This kind of came off this like, I gotta be at home. Once again, special thanks to Ben Foster for graciously giving of his time. Now, we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with This Week in the Theaters. You guys are listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4, and that's dcradio.gov. Welcome back to our final segment. And that was this year's Billboard icon recipient, Janet Jackson, and her hit Anytime, Anyplace. Now, this week's reviews are brought to you by the FilmGordon.com. Experience film through the life of a true film addict. Check out all our film content at the FilmGordon.com. Now, opening this week in theaters are a couple of road trip movies. But before we discuss these films, as always, cue the music. in theaters this week there are three films opening and we'll preview a couple of them starting with Boundaries now in Boundaries Laura played by Vera Farmiga along with her teenage son Henry is forced to drive her pot dealing father Jack from Portland to her sister's house in LA after he's kicked out of his retirement home now this road trip comedy drama film was written and directed by Shayna Festi and stars Vera Farmiga Christopher Plummer Louis McDougal, Bobby Cannavale, Kristen Shaw, Christopher Lloyd, and Peter Fonda. So I did not get a chance to check this film out. So Boundaries is in theaters opening this weekend. 
Another film that I did not get a chance to check out this week, of course, is Sicario, The Day of the Soldado. Now, after discovering that Mexican drug cartels are smuggling terrorists across the United States border, the CIA sends Matt Graver, played by Josh Brolin, and former undercover operative Alejandro Gillick, Benicio Del Toro, to eliminate the problem. They kidnap Isabella Reyes, played by Isabella Moner, the daughter of a drug lord in a false flag operation designed to incite a war between rival cartels. The mission goes awry when it's discovered by the Mexican government, prompting Graver to order Reyes' death. But when Gillick refuses, he turns rogue to protect her as Graver assembles a new team to hunt them both. Now, of course, this crime thriller film is directed by Stefano Soloma and written by Taylor Sheridan, just as the original was, and is a sequel to the 2015 film Sicario. The film features, of course, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin, and Jeffrey Donovan reprising their roles with Isabella Moner, Catherine Keener, and Manuel Garcia Rolfo joining the cast. Um, I, I've heard some things about this film, have not had an opportunity to see it. I do believe it'll probably be the number one film this week in theaters. Check out uh, Sicario, The Day of the Soldado. All right, which takes us to our final film. And of course, that film is Uncle Drew. Uh, and this film t- uh, centers on a on a man who, after draining his life savings to enter his team in the Rucker Classic Streetball Tournament in Harlem, Dax, played by Laurel Howery, is dealt a series of unfortunate setbacks, including losing his team to his longtime rival, played by Nick Kroll. Now, desperate to win the tournament and the cash prize, Dax stumbles upon the man, the myth, the legend. Uncle Drew, played by uh, Boston Celtics Kyrie Irving, and convinces him to return to the court one more time. Now, this film, of course, is directed by Charles Stone III, who also did Drumline and stars Kyrie Irving as the title character from his Pepsi Max advertisements that started in 2012. Also, along with former NBA player Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Webber, Reggie Miller, and Nate Robinson, and former WNBA player Lisa Leslie. Laurel Howery, Tiffany Haddish, Erica Ash, J.B. Smooth, Mike Epps, and Nick Kroll. Now, in this clip from the film, Uncle Drew teaches a disrespectful baller a lesson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right here, son. See that right there? That's the problem with your generation. Million-dollar move and a five-cent finish. You talk a lot of smack for geriatrics. It's a shame you can't back any of it up. Oh. Yo, man. Go ahead, son. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a favor. Huh? Oh my nuts. Oh, Joe Nuts. All you wanna be is out here gonna play like Jordan. So we trying to get Morgan Freeman? Come on back. Don't do him like that, Uncle Drew! All right. After being thoroughly humiliated and losing this star player and this girl, Dax hits the jackpot when he stumbles on the former playground legend Uncle Drew. Now, while both men love the game, one wants to see it played the right way, the other one wants the $100,000 top prize money. These two embark on a road trip to put the band back together for a shot of glory at the famed Rucker Tournament in Harlem. Now, the film features plenty of comedy, whether physical, between the various players, or the generational gap between Laurel Howery and Irving's Uncle Drew. 
Now, whether it's the music, his lack of confidence because of his past encounters with his rival or the wild antics of the geriatric players, Uncle Drew is part of a two-hour advertisement for Pepsi Max, the NBA, as well as a film that never takes itself too seriously and revels in delivering solid laughs. Now, movies about basketball or featuring star basketball players have been mixed over the last 40 years, ranging from Michael Jordan in Space Jam to Spike Lee's Ode to Hoops in He Got Game. Now, this film is much better <laughs> than the dated 19, late 70s film, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Uncle Drew will surely move more product for Pepsi and raise the profile of one of the league's bright young stars. Irving sparkles as the sage baller full of wisdom who must atone for an ugly incident with one of his former teammates. Now, this film is much funnier to me than it has any right to be. And while Uncle Drew isn't innovative, it is an enjoyable slice of b-ball fun. I gave Uncle Drew a B minus, man. I really I laughed way more than I thought I should at this movie. And I went in going, man, this movie looks absolutely terrible, man. Um, and, and I got a couple minutes left, man. Charles Kirkland is still in studio, man. He sat next to me and Uncle Drew, man. What do you think about this Uncle Drew situation? I 100% agree with you. I, I went in with no expectations whatsoever for this movie to be anything other than uh, 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 terrible. And I enjoyed almost every minute of it. I mean, the, the, the laughs were, the soundtrack was Incredible because it was all the old stuff that we that I grew up listening to. I'm not gonna say about whether you grew up listening to it or not. I did, but uh, <laughs> but uh, to to hear the the best thing was when uh, they played the Isaac Brothers. <laughs> and little Ray, uh, little Ray's character wants to, to rap all big the ladies Papa in too. the place went style ain't great, and Uncle Drew looked at him like, "What you doing, bro?" <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I laughed more than I thought I was, and uh, it was it was a thoroughly enjoyable movie. And I'm uh, I'm surprised that you gave it a B minus because I, I'm uh, I thought for sure you it was going to be in the C realm for you. Well, it, it was, man. But I, I thought that um, I couldn't lie to myself, man. I I sat there and laughed way too hard, man, because there were some scenes that I was laughing. I was like, man, this is out of control. But again, I will say this about the movie, and not as it is a bad thing. I know everybody right now is riding what I call the Tiffany Haddish train. Everybody wants <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's that true. negatively. I'm saying everybody she's wants the hottest, to put, She's the hottest right. thing out there right they now. Want, they want Tiffany Haddish in their movie, man. And I think this reminds me a lot of her work in the OG, where she's there. She does what she does, but you don't really. She's not. She hasn't found a film outside of Girls Trip that will really use her the right. way she needs to be used right now. Somebody needs to come up with a vehicle specifically for her. That I think if they did that, it would take her to the next level. Because right now, she's kind of like the seasoning in a film. You right. know, when you need some laughs or somebody to go, she ready, she ready. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little more, Tiff. I need some growth. Right. I mean, but, but get in. It's not her fault. It's I mean, not her fault. I mean, she's doing what she's got to she do. She's she making is the cash money. And checks. She's cashing the checks. <laughs> so uh, do what you got to do. But I agree with you. 
There's got to be something down the road for her that's going to feature her talents and take her to the next level. Absolutely. All righty. So that is going to wrap it up for us this weekend. Uh, we're going to the 4th of July. Um, as we tell you guys every week uh, in closing, please see something good at the movies. You guys have a wonderful holiday weekend, and we'll see you guys on the other side. I'm out.